Welcome back to another Cardinals Off Day podcast. The Cardinals are 76 and 69 on pace to win 85 games, which is one of the larger numbers we've been able to say for uh, some time. Uh, ben, uh, after doing a weekly podcast, it's been a little while. How you doing? Uh, I'm I'm doing well, and the break between recording has treated us particularly well. Um, the Cardinals looked like they were perhaps uh, going to cross over into irrelevancy after the first two games of that Dodgers season, and you know then they turned it around, won a couple, and now they've you know kind of heated up and put together a nice little. Uh, stretch here and they did it at the absolute perfect time because they're facing uh, the teams they are competing with head to head in the in the race such as it is for the second wild card isn't it amazing because i know we kind of talked on our last podcast um which um was around the time they you know played a series or two against the reds and you know we talked in about the fact that you know the reds and all these teams they're competing for that second wild card with just aren't really that good Whereas the Dodgers were just incredible, you know. I mean, the Dodgers, you know, destroyed them throwing like two bullpen games and they had like guys playing out of position. I think there were like, you know, guys wearing their glove on the wrong hand, you know, and they, you know, still won every game by six. So it's just it's amazing the gulf between, you know, like the Giants, the Dodgers, um, you know, the Brewers, uh, just, you know, the elite clubs and then kind of the everybody else clubs. <laughs> so um, we're really we're really seeing that. So um, what um, given all that, what do you uh, what do you feel like you've learned since we last checked in? Um, I, I think that I have learned that a healthy Cardinals team uh, is a dangerous Cardinals team. Um, because I, I feel like, you know, obviously Flaherty is still out, but they've gotten, you know, frankly, in terms of run suppression, I'm not saying that J.A. Happ has pitched as well as overall as you would expect uh, Flaherty to pitch, and he did have the one game where he blew up against the Reds. But um, overall, since the trade deadline, I mean, J.A. Happ, he's got a – you know, a low ERA and he hasn't quite given them the innings that they would expect from Flaherty either. But in terms of a replacement for Jack Flaherty over the last few weeks of the season, you know, like he's pitched pretty well and they've gotten just kind of healthy innings from the rotation. And it, you know, I say this as they're shuffling Kim in and out and fumbling around with Jake Woodford in the rotation now as well. But, uh, you know, they've also gotten healthy uh, by and large uh, in the lineup. And, you know, this looks like a team that the front office thought it had going into the season. Um, and, you know, if Michaelis can can pitch his way into form, you know, they, they could be pretty formidable. Uh, yeah. Right now they look formidable. But even with their tough schedule facing Milwaukee and everyone else, um, you know, they might be able to pull this thing off. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, uh, on a similar note, <laughs> what I've got written down here for what I have learned, and really it's something that I've, I've relearned, but something that I've known for years and years, it's that DeWitt ball works. 
Okay. Bill DeWitt ball <laughs> works. Uh, <laughs> what is Bill DeWitt ball? We've been, we've heard it for years. That's it's to play meaningful baseball in September. And I know we bristle at that because it's often kind of used to, to sell us uh, middling baseball <laughs> in uh, June, July and August. Um, but lo and behold, here we are once again, playing meaningful baseball in September. And I can just picture Bill DeWitt Sr. standing uh, in the infield at Bush Stadium, uh, holding his sword aloft, you know, turning around and asking the crowd, are you not entertained? Um, Now, the the crowds, the, the smaller crowds that have been there throughout the season, I think, are telling him they're not so entertained. And I think that the crowds have not been as entertained by DeWitt Ball this year. Um, and I think we're going to see some changes to DeWitt Ball going forward. I, I think we're actually going to touch on some reasons for that uh, coming up a little bit later. But, you know, um, you know, the bottom line, um, the you know, they have a formula for what they do. They, uh, you know, the plan is to to be competitive every year. The plan is not to win 106 games every year. Um, and so, uh, you know, if you go into a Cardinal season, ex- you know, hoping and expecting they're going to win 106 games, you're going to be one of these people that's, you know, po- raging on Twitter every night about, you know, how terrible everything is. If you go in there with the understanding that this is what they're going to you know, go out there and try to do, as, a, as fan bases go, you're actually pretty well cared for in this fan base because they, they tend to deliver what they have promised you they're going to deliver. I would certainly rather be in this fan base than be in, say, oh, I don't know, let's say the Chicago Cubs fan base, for example. So, um, <laughs> you know, I would be sitting at home in my uh, Wrigleyville Chris Bryant jersey in a pool of my own tears. Um, as, drinking, as they lose on a as they lose on a walk-off pass ball tonight to the Phillies uh, to further cement the team as one of the worst uh, in franchise history. Oh my gosh, uh, I hadn't seen that. And hey, can I just interject real quick? Ending this game tonight, TJ Miller with his current beard situation and just the way he pitches, is he not giving off like extreme Jason Mott vibes? Um, just uh, as- yes. aesthetically... Aesthetically, very, very good. So um, I'll take it. I'll take it. So, <laughs> uh, hey, so um, moving on uh, and looking ahead, um, obviously, we're playing meaningful ball. We, I hate, I hate it when I do the we thing. I know. See, this is what happens when it's like exciting and the team is competitive, right? Now I'm doing the we thing, right? Like, like I'm sitting there in the dugout and I might get a pinch hitting appearance in the seventh inning. When, when you're writing four to five posts a week for SB for the <laughs> SB Nation overlords, you you deprogram yourself, so it's no longer we. I still talk about the Cardinals like I'm like a you know a dispassionate uh, reporter who does not react to anything that happens in the games. I understand. I understand. I think it might also be tonight. You know, I usually, of course, I don't consider like I could never do what these guys do. I have to say watching John Lester uh, run the bases tonight, I did have the the thought in my head, like, you know, I might actually be able to do that better than he's doing that. right now. (laughs) Well, and, and, you know, in, in fairness to John Lester, he always looks so miserable and like he's struggling to do what he's doing. You know, him running the bases is the ultimate, like, hey, I'm about his age. I'm about his physique. I think I could probably handle this. I'm about his baseline level of misery. I might be able to pull that off. So. I, I look as red-faced as John Lester when I exert myself minimally. 
Yeah. I yeah. think I could run the bases. Like him. I have to I you know, we've given John Lester a hard time. I should say you've given John Lester a hard time. Um tonight watching him pitch, I have to say when he's on I do. I get like moments of Tom Glavin of just that kind of, you know, working to right hand batters and like, you know, starting off like, you know, one baseball width off the outside and then gradually two baseball widths off and, you know, just just kind of pushing it further and further. The problem, of course, is, you know, he's not good enough to really do that and sustain that. So then he, you know, throws one over the middle to Pete Alonzo and it, you know, goes 600 feet. It's it's fitting that you mentioned Tom Glavin because he they're playing the Mets and it is a little bit like end of the career twilight of the career Tom Glavin you know when he wasn't actually right. that good right um, and when you're a finesse pitcher you know sometimes you can get by with sort of that smoke and mirrors and guile but when it doesn't work man is it ugly. And oftentimes it's it's even a little bit ugly when it's kind of working and like Lester right. just isn't fun. You know, it's just a constant nibbling. And yeah. and tonight he was he pitched very, very well. I mean, I, yeah. I think this is probably uh, his best game um, in a while. Because yeah. he, you know, the the K's and the way he was working, um, yeah. I he he pitched very very well and i have been down on lester and part of it is you know people are like oh he's reinvented himself i think is what stl today ran and uh you're kind of seeing this like narrative now forming around the hap and lester acquisitions uh but before tonight like lester was basically the exact same pitcher he was uh by uh the fielding independent stats uh, with the Nationals, he just has had a little bit better luck on balls in play because he's playing in front of a better defense, and that has probably helped his strand rate, which has lowered his ERA a little bit. But tonight, yeah. I want to say, he was very good. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. Uh, you know, credit where it is where it is due. He has not been very good up until this point and, uh, in terms of how he's actually pitching. Uh, but yeah. tonight... Um, he looked very, very good. And if they get this type of uh, starting effort from Lester down the stretch, they're going to be uh, even better off uh, than I thought they were entering this game, where it's kind of like, oh, hey, we've won this series and Lester's pitching, so I don't really care if he's terrible. No. Um, because he has been so terrible for so long as a starter. Yeah. So. I, I had a bit of a revelation just now. Did you read uh, The Old Man in the Sea when you were in like high school? Yes, uh, I did. The Hemingway book. So I love watching like uh, old pitchers who just don't have it anymore work. And I realized it's basically like reading The Old Man in the Sea. You know, I just love seeing like the like old craftsmen out there, like meticulously going through the thing that they've done forever and just laboring and laboring and laboring and and possibly like reeling in this, you know, great fish. But of course, um, ultimately failing. That's um, so I just I just had a little bit of an epiphany. I think that's that's what I'm that's the aesthetic experience that I'm having watching them. So um, listeners of Cardinals off, they do with that as you will. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> moving on. Um, <laughs> and we'll come back to that periodically um, as we compare Cardinals players to uh, the works of Ernest Hemingway. Um, but we want to- 
baseball cleats heavily worn uh, or heavily <laughs> used, right? Um, anyway, uh, moving on to Cardinals baseball. <laughs> so we did want to talk uh, just a little bit about the, the roster going forward and, um, you know, what kind of changes we might see um, just in these last, gosh, what are we done? I think it's like 19 games we have left. Ben, is there anything you're kind of looking for going forward? Well, I was, uh, I had my eyebrows uh, raised when I read that uh, Dakota Hudson is making another rehab start and they're looking at a pitch count of 75 for him. Um, and uh, Jeff Jones uh, tweeted that out and said that Schilt didn't get pinned down on how they might be using Hudson. But, you know, I say to you and I ask you, Ben. Yes. You have Jake Woodford starting. Yeah. What is the point of having Hudson go to 75 pitches and have another rehab start if you aren't going to start him? Like they could have him in the major league bullpen tonight. Um, otherwise, yeah. right? Like, yeah. so why have him continue to stretch out if you are not planning on inserting him uh, into the rotation uh, here in like a couple weeks? Well, I mean, I, and, and I would add just into this mix here, they keep saying that they do expect Flaherty to return before the end of the season. Um, they don't expect that he will be able to ramp up to starter levels. So they expect that he could potentially be a bullpen guy. I would expect what that means, though, is that, you know, he might be kind of more of like a multi-inning, you know, guy. Like maybe he's a guy who could go like two or three or something. And, you know, when I hear things like that about Hudson and Flaherty, what honestly what my first thought is, is I wish we had a manager other than Mike Schilt who could manage these guys because yeah. I feel like a club like the Brewers would really know how to use arms like that. And in, fa- in fact, they have all season. Um, when you look at the, um, you know, just the way that they've used their pitchers all season, frankly, the way the Dodgers have used their pitchers for five, six, seven years, you know, this is how the, the, this is how the smart clubs use their pitchers. They don't get locked into this guy's a starter. This guy's a reliever, you know, so much. Yes, obviously there's guys that are, are starting pitchers, you know. Um, you, you know, Max Scherzer is a starting pitcher. He is a classic starting pitcher. The really elite guys, you know, do kind of fit in that mold. And there are a handful of those guys that's you know, still do, you know, maybe throw 200 innings or maybe do those kind of things. But they're pretty rare and far, and far between. Um Rob Maines has done some really interesting work on this uh, recently. He was on the uh, Effectively Wild podcast recently talking about this as well. Um, you know, um, we're seeing more and more starting pitching load move to bullpens. We're seeing more and more of, you know, five days of rest for these guys and stuff. So uh, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, I would like to see the Cardinals get creative here. You know, Wainwright is really the one guy in there right now who is that kind of, you know, classic starting pitcher guy that I would like to see in, you know, in that role, but I'd like to see them get maybe a little bit more creative with some of these other guys and, you know, and see what they can do. And, and I'm with you. I would rather see, you know, if Dakota Hudson is able to be effective and, and I've said before, I have a lot of question marks about Dakota Hudson. I'm, you know, I, you know, even if Dakota Hudson is healthy, 
I have question marks just about how effective of a pitcher he is. But let, but you know, let's say he's healthy and let's say he's showing that he's effective. Um, I would certainly like to see him over Jake Woodford, who's somebody I have even more, you know, question marks about. But but yeah, why not have him, you know, why not have him throw those 75 pitches, you know, in a major league game, whether it's at the beginning of a game or whether it's, you know, after you know, three, four innings of a Jake Woodford start or, you know, after, you know, Miles Michaelis throws, you know, three innings and gives up four runs or, you know, whatever, whatever it is. I I just wish they could do something more creative with it. And it sounds like instead they're going to build him up to a starter workload and then, you know, wait to see which of their identified ordained starters breaks. And then they're going to slot him into that position. Um, That's kind of what I'm seeing anyway. What are you, what are you seeing? Oh, before I before the news today, I thought that they'd be using him as, and maybe Flaherty as a as almost a piggyback. Um, exactly, a, a Flaherty Hudson piggyback would be a really attractive option if that is something that they they could have put together. Uh, but right now, it seems like just looking at the tea leaves and what they have done before. It looks like we will see Flaherty not as an opener or anything uh, as exotic as that. Not that the idea of an opener is particularly exotic, because it's not. Uh, but it is if you carry around George Kissel's journal, apparently. Um, it's a it's something that cannot be done. Um, I, I think you will see Flaherty in the Carlos Martinez role uh, when they did something similar with him. Uh, back in 2019 and and I have to tell you um, on the Alex Reyes ERA roller coaster you know right now we're at a low point where he's again somehow managing to strand runners but if I have a choice between Alex Rod or Alex Reyes and uh, and Jack Flaherty if Flaherty is healthy in a late inning I would choose Flaherty every single time because Flaherty is such a a more skilled pitcher and you have to figure if he's healthy enough to gas it up for an inning, he's, he's going to be bringing the heat and that slider and he's going to be untouchable. Yeah. And I, and, and, and there is definitely value to that in the late innings. If, if you're bringing Flaherty in to like face the top or the heart of an order, to yeah. neutralize them in a close game. I think that that's great. Yeah. My concern is that, you know, Schilt still seems to buy into Alex Reyes's stuff and, you know, is willing to just completely overlook the, the struggles that he has, uh, both controlling and commanding his pitches. And, and we've seen the heartbreak that can lead to. And my hope is that if they are going to bring Flaherty back in that role, that he supplants Alex Rodriguez, or I just oh, did it again, Alex <laughs> Reyes. I keep doing this, and I don't know why. Uh, but I hope that he supplants Reyes, and uh, Reyes is freed up maybe to be more of a compliment to Hudson or Michaelis, where, oh, hey, if they don't have their good stuff, yeah. we're going to bring you in, and you can gobble up some of the middle innings. Um, yeah. Because I, you know, I'll tell you, I, I don't really trust Reyes to start. And I don't really trust Reyes in the late innings either because he has demonstrated for years now that he does not have uh, good control or command of his pitches. 
And when you bring him in in a close game, especially with runners on base, you're just playing with fire. Yeah, no, I agree with that. But I, I guess to, to pivot back to uh, complaining about Mike Schilt, which is what I want to do here. I think the big problem here, and it's really going to, I'm worried, I'm concerned it's really going to come to the fore here at the end of the season is I just don't think his, um, I don't think he has a dynamic understanding of his players. I think he, he sees his players in a very fixed way. He, 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 he sees them in a, in a certain role, and then he continues to see them in that role until they have failed repeatedly, and he has no choice but to kind of move them, you know, move them on. And, the, you know, to, to some extent, you can kind of stomach that or get away with that during the regular season, but you just can't do that in um, – you know, this late in the season or in the postseason. So, you know, you talk about Flaherty, for example. I mean, you know, Flaherty, if he comes back, it's going to be the classic, you know, he's going to, you know, ramp it up fairly quickly and he's going to be thrown out there. And um, and he might go out there and have Jack Flaherty type stuff for limited periods of time. Or you know what? He might go out there and be garbage because that happens sometimes too. You try to get a guy, a, a guy who's a really good pitcher, but you just try to kind of rush him back out there too quickly. He's still a little bit hurt. He's in an unfamiliar role, and he just might not be performing well. But I can just—I feel like I, I've seen this movie before, where you know, in Mike Schilt's mind, he's still Jack Flaherty, and and you know, he's going to just kind of keep rolling, you know, rolling him out there. And that's just one example of it. But I just—that—that's my concern. Is—is is, you know just not being dynamic enough to kind of understand, Hey, you know, this guy doesn't have it. This guy is, is working in this role right now. Oh, okay. Now he's not, you know, you got to pull the strings much more quickly at this time of season. Well, I, you know, they railroaded KK pretty quickly. I mean, I don't know what happened there, but man, they, they just soured on him. I'm not sure what all happened with his health or their communication regarding But they well, and and you know what him to the pen, man. They did, and you know what the Andrew Miller tonight. It was three batters, and 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 he was out, and um, you know, and it was. Uh, I mean, I think they had maybe a three four run lead at that point, but you know, he let three guys, you know, three straight guys on, and he was out, and as as he well should have been. But I do feel like there's certainly been times this year that you know Schilt would have let him, you know, keep keep going there as well. So yeah, hopefully there's some signs of of hope there. Um, do you think there's any chance that we see um, any anything on the offensive side? And of course, I'm talking about uh, Juan Yepes, I think is really the only potential upgrade they could they could make there. Do you think there's any chance at all that they do that? You know, I I feel like uh, Ponce de Leon opened the door <laughs> to a roster spot, both a 40 and 25 man roster spot. I mean, he's been, he's been flaming trash all year. I mean, just completely terrible on the mound. You know, I've, I've often said John Gant might be the worst pitcher in baseball, uh, but that is because I'd forgot about Daniel Ponce de Leon because he was on the injured list and he's, he has been terrible. And after he goes out, and pitches terribly, he starts something or or doesn't let Yachty just tell him how it is, and which is you know whether he's starting something with Yachty or not, or feels compelled to chirp back at Yachty. Whatever, who cares? Get him out of there. I mean, there's a ditch somewhere in Queens that you can throw him in, 
you don't have to bring him back to St. Louis. I mean, that's yeah. what he's worth. I, you yeah. might as well just cut him, get him out of the organization. I mean, he's he's clearly an incompetent idiot who needs to go. Yeah. And so uh, you have someone unlike Daniel Ponce de Leon, who's terrible, who can help your team in the yeah. And you yeah. would hope that maybe the club would see that um, and make the move. But who yeah. knows? Well, that's a great point because you, you make a good point because Yepes is is not on the forty man, so that's of course part of it as well. Is you got to find a spot for him as well. Um, you know, I was looking more on the, um, you know, just just on the kind of active roster side of things because I do think they would have to move somebody there because I don't think they're want going to want to go down. You know, give up a bullpen spot, right? And and that's where I feel like there's also possibilities there. I don't know that they would do them, but I mean, you know. I mean, Matt Carpenter is a is a Cardinals legend, um, but you know, I mean, Matt Carpenter is just I just think he's cooked, and I know that there's some. Uh, I just I just I don't see anything else there, but you know, he's completely cooked. But I'll also say I don't see what the point of Jose Rondon is on this team either. You know, Jose Rondon is out no. there. Um, he's he he's mostly used actually as a backup outfielder. He's playing more outfield than anything else. Um, you know, Juan Yepes can actually play the position that he most often plays. He's not Rondon's not an especially effective pinch hitter. Um, you know, Carpenter was basically supposed to be there as your kind of like you know pinch hit bat. Yepes seems like he would add so much value there. So I, it's a move that I don't know if they'll make Carpenter. I feel like. They'll stick with just because they they don't cut veterans like that, and and I feel like it's it, it frustrates me because of course I want to see them do that, but I think it engenders a lot of loyalty and probably brings them a lot of benefits that I don't necessarily give them credit for, um, you know. So I just I don't think that's likely to happen. Rondon though, it's like I don't know really. Like, could you not um, you know make that move there? Um, I, I'd like to see it because really if you're pushing to get into the playoffs here, um, you know, it just seems like, you know, just try to add a little bit of a, of a spark there. So um, speaking of uh, adding, uh, adding a spark, uh, the topic of Cardinals devil magic, I have seen um, reemerge uh, in the, uh, in the Twitter sphere and in the media. Um, obviously the Cardinals uh, have, uh, spent most of this season just completely on the periphery. I know in uh, Ken Rosenthal's uh, piece at The Athletic today, he himself kind of commented that in his uh, trade deadline piece, I think he you know had devoted all of just like a few words to the Cardinals. And, um, <laughs> you know, basically there's sort of a recognition that no one has paid any attention to the Cardinals. And now, you know, here the Cardinals are again. So it's just the sort of classic narrative that sets up. And people are asking, is this Cardinals devil magic? So, so Ben, I put it to you. Is this Cardinals devil magic? What is Cardinals devil magic? And uh, do we know it when we see it? Well, I feel like what we once knew as Cardinals devil magic, it it kind of started where you would get these uh, kind of mid-round picks who would, you know, work their way up. You know, they were usually college players, and then they would work their way up uh, through the system, and the Cardinals would have... Uh, 
you know, success bringing them up to the major leagues, like, you know, like an Allen Craig. It's it's funny. I literally, in my notes here, I have Memphis mafia guys written down. (laughs) Yeah. You know, the Memphis mafia is really, I think where that originated from. Uh, Maybe, maybe the seed was Ryan Ludwig. Um, and then kind of, you know, cause Ryan Ludwig kind of came out of nowhere, had the huge season, uh, hitting behind Pujols, you know, and then the Memphis mafia guys, and then you have like a Hazel Baker, uh, you know, then you have an Edmund in 2019 when he was good, um, <clears throat> who kind of fit that profile, uh, and then even Carlson in the second half of 2019, even though he was a top, pro- uh, more of a top prospect type. But but my understanding of how it originated was, you know, kind of these non-top 100 prospects come up and give you above average major league production at the plate. Um, and that's the Cardinals devil magic or the Cardinal way. Then I feel like with 2011, then the comeback against the Nationals in 2012 and the NLDS, it kind of came to mean the team kind of finds that groove and does something that's against the odds and, frankly, magical. And so this team clearly would fit that profile, right? Because they've been dealing with all these injuries, and now they're making a September run, not unlike the 2011 team. And so it, I think it has sort of taken on, you know, the definition of the, of, uh, the Supreme court opinion on pornography. We know it when we see it. Right. <laughs> and, you know, I'll be honest, the Lars Newt bar home run robbery tonight, uh, really felt like some Cardinals devil magic. Had the whiff on. of devil's magic to it. <laughs> yes, yes, it yes. Uh, it, it that is the first time uh, where I have kind of been like, oh, we might be on one of those types of runs, you know, where Alonzo hits a home run and it just it is hit right into Lars Newbar's glove. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, and and it felt and then you know newt bar and harrison bader's reaction like it was kind of it, it felt very uh devilish uh yeah in their glee you know yeah well and uh I, I agree and i i think this this met series is really for me i think maybe the first time that i've kind of started to have that like devil magic vibe too in that um you know they were at least in the first couple games you know they were kind of down a little bit and came back in some games, especially in that second game. And yeah, you've had some guys. Edmondo Sosa is another guy. I'd say he's very much a devil magic kind of guy. Like a, who's yes. this guy who's like suddenly <laughs> like you know yes. making great plays and just and like just kind of like timely hits and things like that. So um, I'm with you 100. percent Like I said, I'd written down Memphis Mafia guys, and I had a lot of those same names down there. Um, but yeah, and I also I think it's also a product of DeWitt Ball. It's it's it, you know it's just that whole idea of, um, you know, I mean, look, being cheap. Let's call it what it is. Like just being cheap and trying to you know um, find those like market inefficiencies, and so and and in doing, but but being successful in doing so, and so they've in doing so, um, you know, and I think for for a lot of the early 2010s with those Memphis mafia guys, what it was, was, 
um, you know, the, the Cardinals really raised the floor. And so those, a lot of those yes. teams were good because they didn't have a lot of superstar players. Now there's always, of course, the asterisk when the pool years, they had like, you know, one of the, the yeah, five the greatest superstars superstar ever, <laughs> yeah. right? But um, but they weren't like you know they weren't like a loaded with all stars type team. But but all these guys at the bottom who, for people who were just kind of casual fans of other teams, or just like nobodies, were actually pretty good. Were actually better than yeah. the kind of like you know nobodies on on their teams. So then when it comes to the late season and they're they're suddenly watching Cardinals games it feels like these guys that come out of nowhere are you know are beating them. So I think that's kind of you know I, I think that's maybe kind of part of it and and maybe we're you know maybe we're seeing that this year. I hope we're seeing that this year. I'm I'm a big fan of Cardinals Devil Magic um as a concept and obviously I'm a big fan of the Cardinals, you know, winning games and fans of other teams being upset that the Cardinals are winning games. So we we also left off uh, uh, Pete Cosma off of the Devil's Magic list, which yeah. would have been a, a significant error uh, on our parts and unforgivable yeah. from the guy who wrote a one act play about how he was a warlock. Yeah, um, <laughs> for Viva Albertos, but he, uh, you know. Part of it is you get that magical run at the, or you get that magical performance at at the right time, and then yeah. maybe the rest of the career just doesn't add up to it. Is another component of it. That's but true. You, you know, you're talking about uh, Dewitt Ball, and it really is something to see how Dewitt's vision for a team surrounding a superstar like Pujols basically kind of maybe sprouted in 2011 with like Jay and Craig and all those guys, Mm -hmm. but then I, and, and freeze a little bit, but then I feel like 2012, like that's what DeWitt ball was supposed to be. Right. Like that team around Albert Pujols and holiday. And then you have, you know, all of these like three winnish players yeah. Rather than you know the pejorative Alec or Albert and the Seven Dwarves, you would have all of these like decent players around him. Oh yeah, uh, well oh yeah, and I think like that 2013 World Series team that was even more the the avatar of that. And yeah, yeah. you've got like Beltron, but you've got like late period Beltron who yeah is is a very good player, but yeah is not like a you know five six win like superstar type player. Right. Um. So. Yeah, but 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 everybody on that team is, you know, is is pretty good. Again, your floor is just very very high. So, um, yeah. Um, well, interestingly enough, the next topic we wanted to touch on, um, <laughs> and this is uh, uh, in a, a, a hopefully what will be a, a recurring series uh, on uh, what's in the wallet um, as we uh, just kind of dive in on on what's uh, going on with uh, Bill Dewitt. Um, and we want to talk a little bit about uh, moving in the fences because obviously this was a big, uh, big conversation over this last week or so while we didn't record. Um, the uh, Cardinals talked about this. There was a number of um, pieces on this, um, uh, and and throughout the media, um, I thought Jason Hill at VEB wrote a pretty good kind of piece on it. Um, just looking at some of the um, kind of statistics and numbers around it. But basically, since especially since. Um, ballpark village um the and i don't know i get 
lost sometimes on the phase one, phase two, but since they built the, you know, the, the, the two giant towers now and everything, and that it's really affected the wind patterns there. And it has significantly affected the, uh, uh, offensive profile there and it's pushed it from what they had envisioned when they built it being a a fairly kind of um you know like a fairly fair park like not skewing too far um as a hitter's park or a pitcher's park to now it, it is getting to be one of the more extreme pitchers parks in the league and there was this conversation about um that apparently the team is considering some sort of adjustments to that whether it's moving the fences in whether it's doing some things like that um it sounds like it's still kind of in a fairly abstract phase what that might be but it sounds like they are at least very seriously looking at making some changes there so Ben, what do you what do you make of that? Well, I, I think it's it's pretty interesting. Um, you know, I I remember reading like the first phase of Ballpark Village with like the Anheuser Busch and the Cardinals Museum uh, in the bonding documents. Uh, the Cardinals and their partner in that development projected seventy five million to eighty two million in annual revenue from that. Um, you know, on top of what the Cardinals proper makes. And then they added like the luxury apartments with the weird uh, pool that looks like something from Miami Vice. I keep waiting to see like Don Johnson up there uh, watching the Cardinals game uh, before he busts some Coke dealers. Um, it, it's uh, just a very weird dynamic, that whole thing. Um, but But the weirdest part of it is, as you say, it has had, it has turned a slightly... Uh, pro pitcher park uh, despite their intentions to have it play neutral because uh, Tony LaRusso was consulted in that and they didn't want anything like in Houston or anything like that. They wanted just a neutral competitive ballpark. And, um, and so these new DeWitt moneymakers have actually hurt the on field product. And I feel like that's actually kind of, what a lot of the criticism about the organization is people are not happy with the product on the field. They aren't enjoying watching the games and it's, you know, it, it manifests itself in various ways, you know, fire the hitting coach, fire the manager, fire the president of baseball operations. And for whatever reason, the St. Louis establishment media doesn't seem to criticize DeWitt for setting a hard cap on the baseball operations budget and forcing the front office to let Colton Wong walk, for example. Um, But so what you have is you have a product, whether it's the home team or the visitor, it is not as exciting as in other parks because the home runs aren't there and the extra base hits aren't there. And so the front office, to its credit, has built around this they've built a run suppression machine you know the harrison baders the nolan arenados the uh, paul goldschmidt now the nice thing about goldschmidt and arenado is they're great players no matter what type of setup you have um but tyler o'neill also great uh, at defense and so the front office has built a a team and a roster to leverage that dynamic in Bush stadium. Um, But the product has been just unexciting, especially in the strikeout era where there's just not a lot of action and it's not a lot of fun to watch. 
And it's particularly frustrating when it's when it's your team that just doesn't seem to score runs. And they don't score runs. But it's not just the Cardinals. The, the offensive production in Bush Stadium is very low. And I think that the Cardinals would not have floated this story about a competitive disadvantage, quote-unquote, if ownership were not feeling it in the pocketbook. And I think that they have diagnosed this as part of the cause, probably along with COVID-19 in the team's uh, win total, um, as keeping fans away. But also, if you just go on social media, like the people watching the games are not enjoying it. Now, I know that social media is just a place where people go to not be happy, but it... It seems like when you look at this, there are two things happening. One, folks don't appreciate the overall downturn in offense, in particular balls in play throughout Major League Baseball. But then the particular issues at Bush Stadium. And I think the Cardinals wouldn't have floated this unless ownership was serious about it. And I don't think ownership would be serious about it if it was not having an impact on how marketable the St. Louis Cardinals are, both in terms of ticket sales, but also in terms of TV ratings. Yeah. And, and you kind of first presented that angle on this to me. And I, I just think you're a hundred percent right on. And, you know, as I look at it, you know, I think about the fact that, um, you know, the, the Cardinals have gotten back into the, the race the second half of this year by leaning even further into what works in their ballpark. They went out and they, you know, they, they, they picked up Wade LeBlanc and J.A. Happ and John Lester, these just ancient left-handed pitchers who, you know, pitch to contact and leaning on the fact that they have really good defenders like Harrison Bader who will catch all of the balls that those guys, you know, get put into play. And and it is absolutely working and getting them like back in into games. And 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 now the fact that they're I think finally back and in, in, into a playoff position, it's actually kind of translating into fans. But it took it took a really long time. I don't think people like to watch that style of play, and I I, I don't think that's surprising. And you, it's funny because you contrast that with a team that they're flip flopping with in this. Uh, um, you know, uh, wild card race in San Diego. And what did we get preseason? We got all the slam Diego, uh, you know, hype and everything because, you know, San Diego is so exciting and, and all the, you know, the players and the personalities and the way and the style and the way they played and everything. And look, and I know they've had injuries and I know they've had things like this, but, but, you know, San Diego was built on uh, a much different style of play um, that uh, I think, but as a overall uh, team, um, there was a lot of flaws there that we're seeing now. And that's why, you know, frankly, the way they're playing right now, it's looking like that's, that team's not even going to make the playoffs. That's, and that's a team that most people thought, you know, they, you know, the, you know, coming in this season, I think most people thought the Dodgers and the Padres are, you know, they're each going to win a hundred games and, you know, you know, who's going to win that division. They're not even going to make the playoffs. Okay. But, that is a team that people have been excited about or were excited about all year. They love that style of play. Okay. So, you know, I think the Cardinals are realizing, you know, they've got to kind of find a little bit of a middle ground there because I don't think that, you know, next year, I don't think that MLB the show is going to put 
John Lester on the cover. You know, I don't think they're going to have like, you know, John Lester, you know, like red faced, like grunting, throwing a pitch with like a little Harrison Bader, like, you know, diving and catching a ball on the warning track. So, um, so it, yeah, I think you're a hundred percent right. I think it's just that realizing that this DeWitt ball style of play, while it's accomplishing what they want to do in terms of meaningful September baseball, it's not accomplishing the thing that they really want to do, which is having, millions and millions of fans show up to the stadium and spend lots of money. Oh, absolutely. Um, And I would also say that when this story broke and, or not so much broke, the Cardinals clearly leaked it to, uh, I think, uh, stltoday.com. And, but, but reading this, and and thinking back to kind of the discussion about oh the Cardinals kept Tyler O'Neill instead of Randy Rosarena and you know all of this and to me I was never like much of a why would you keep O'Neill over Rosarena my whole thing was why on earth would you play Tommy Edmond over Rosarena in the outfield mm-hmm. and you know I would still be interested to hear Mike Schultz's explanation on that uh, but. Looking at at this dynamic, I think it can kind of illustrate to you why Tyler O'Neill is on the team right now and Rosa Reina is not. And and the reason is that Tyler O'Neill has power that does not matter where he plays. Um, right. And I, and I think that's also what part of the. Uh, well, and and Tyler O'Neill is also an exemplary defensive player. Yes, exactly. And Tyler O'Neill so he, is a plus, plus defensive player, and whereas Arozarena and and uh, Adolis Garcia as well, you know those guys are not. Um, Garcia I know has a pretty strong arm, but I don't think he's got the you know the range. I mean, you know O'Neill can and you know can can cover all the ground and catch all those you know hard hit balls that, that all these forty year old yep. lefties are giving up. But he's the best of both worlds. Like he has, like he hits bombs, like his home runs, you know, they go out and they go way out. And so he's a player who, you know, probably is impacted by Bush stadium less than, you know, say an, an Arenado or a Bader. Um, And so I, I think the front office clearly, looking at their roster construction clearly identified this, you know, a few years ago mm-hmm. and built the team accordingly. And I think uh, just looking at some of the decisions they've made on who to keep and who to let go in the outfield, I think Tyler O'Neill is where he is right now because of the skills that he possesses and the way those skills fit better than almost any other player into Bush stadium. Yeah. And it's funny because I think it took a very long time for any of us to realize how much his defense might have been something that was making him stand out from the pack. Because for a long time, myself, I guess I can only speak for myself, but I just always thought of him as that slugger guy, you know, and and, we knew he was fast, too. But but yeah, kind of seeing the importance there. It'll be interesting to see going forward. I feel like stadium like your ballpark effect is just such a weird thing to consider always because it's like. You have to play there, but like the other team has to play there too, you know? So it's like, it's, you know, what do you, what do you do? But, but I can definitely see when you, 
tune it too far to one side or the other. And, you know, it, it becomes problematic because then you got to play 81 games on the road. And so like, if you have a ballpark that, you know, you can only, um, you know, that, that the, the formula to win in your ballpark is, you know, John Lester, J.A. Happ and gold glove defenders at every position. Yeah. It makes sense that that's not the best club to go, you know, play in Milwaukee and Cincinnati with. So, um, well, but that's the beauty of the wallet ball. You just want to be playing meaningful games in September. Uh-huh. <laughs> there we and go. hey, if if you've got a good winning percentage at home, you you're going to be playing. Either. Yeah, you're going to be playing many meaningful games in September. It all it all comes out in the wash. All right, so uh, we did have uh, several questions we wanted to kind of roll through here real quick. So um, uh, we had one that came from uh, Don Kedick who asked, "Do we really want a second wild card?" if it means facing Max Scherzer in LA, which it looks pretty likely like it would. Cause my God, the giants are just a machine. Like, I don't think the Dodgers are going to catch the giants, but um, Ben, what do you say to that? Um, yes, we do. And uh, I even, I tweeted something uh, along these lines. The Cardinals are nowhere near as good as the Dodgers, but they're also nowhere near as good as the giants. Now that being said, I, I think the Dodgers are a more difficult matchup for the Cardinals. Uh, and, and Scherzer is, is one of the primary reasons why, but, um, I think that the Cardinals best chance to advance to the world series is to play the Dodgers in the wild card game even if Scherzer is starting because the Cardinals would hopefully be able to start Adam Wainwright. And there's a reason you will hear Mosellock and other people, even including me refer to the wildcard game as the coin flip game, because in baseball, you know, there's the saying in, in the NFL, any given Sunday, well, you know, whatever NFL, uh, who cares about that sport in baseball, any given day, any team can beat any team. And in fact, any team can beat any team in a three-game series or a five-game series, but in a one-game basis, it is literally as close to a coin flip as you will find in professional sports. And if the Cardinals can go in there with Adam Wainwright against Scherzer, I mean, I like their chances of advancing to the next round better than if they have to beat the Dodgers three games out of five because the longer you play, the more games that you play, the more of an opportunity you give the team with the superior talent an opportunity to leverage that talent into victories. Yeah. And, and I'll say, too, on just a kind of global level, I, I, I always want to see my team play more games. Like, I want to, you know, I, I don't care if, like, I if you know i want to see the cardinals advance to the playoffs i want to see them advance to the next round of the playoffs even if it means getting steamrolled <laughs> you know because it's it's more baseball and more baseball is fun and and yeah you know getting steamrolled in the playoffs or getting swept by somebody you know that's not great but it's 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 better than the season being over and you know and on top of that we certainly know that 
there's plenty of times where you go into a series and you're you're very much the underdog and nothing lines up for you and yet you come you know you come through so you you know i think um you know it's like it's like playing poker you just you always want to stay at the table as long as you as long as you can so because good things will happen all right so um our friend micah um and by the way micah's twitter handle is at wet chemistry micah has that always been your twitter handle that looks new to me i don't know what the wet chemistry is i have questions about that but we can talk about that another time but micah asks do i ever have to see ponce again um ben you i think advocated for um ponce to literally be murdered by the mob earlier in this podcast are you <laughs> are you standing by that no i just wanted him to throw him in a ditch uh oh, not okay. kill him oh uh, okay i see but like if there's a hole in a cement truck you know, I don't know what Yachty might do. I mean, we've talked about how he's uh, someone you don't want to mess with. Um, hopefully we never have to see Daniel Ponce de Leon again. Uh, but if they if he's still on the team tonight, which he is, um, I think we probably will see him in mop up duty again before the season is over. So unfortunately, uh, Daniel Ponce de Leon uh, will be a Cardinals player that we will likely have to see again. I can't imagine <clears throat> as a Cardinals player, any, any move that is less of a smart move than start a fight with Yachty. <laughs> I just feel well, like you saw everyone flood in like, no dude, like, yeah, right. Get like there. It was just like a stream. Like people were jumping over the railing, like, to save right. this guy because I, you know, I think everyone knows like he's insane. And Oh, Oh yeah. No, both, both for your physical safety, but also just as like a PR move. Oh yeah. Oh like, yeah. Like every <laughs> level this is, and right. we know that, you know, like Yachty is crazy, but you're absolutely right. Like what you're going to get into it with Yachty air Molina, right. I, you know, the guy who's coming back for his final farewell season next year, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. who's going to, who's going to come out on top in this altercation Ponce? Yeah. like, yeah. come on, man. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Micah, uh, uh, Ben and I both hope we don't have to see him again, but I think we expect that we will. Um, so Kurt Anderson asked if Arenado gets hot, like he did to start the season and he homered again tonight. So <laughs> I think he is, um, how much does that boost our playoff chances? Well, we talked about it, uh, quite a while ago that him, when he was in a slump there, uh, in the early summer, how much that hurt the team and the lineup. And, you know, when he is, when he is locked in and, and we also talked about this early in the year when they were playing the Brewers, when Arenado's locked in, you have a batter who hater is kind of careful with, you know, like one of the best closers in baseball is being a little delicate around the zone with Arenado when he's hot and you know that that makes a big difference and especially with the way Goldschmidt's been hitting you know for months now but when you have those two going that heart of the lineup is really form uh, along with O'Neill the heart of that lineup is very formidable and you're going to get some runs driven in and that you know obviously is a good thing and so um, yeah he's the type of guy who can carry you into the postseason well, and I know, I mean, you and I are card carrying 
advanced metrics guys ourselves. I think that's pretty clear. But can I just say that aesthetically, um, as a throwback to a back of the baseball card uh, situation, 30 home runs and 100 RBIs is just really sexy. And um, I'm, I'm very glad to have a third baseman putting up those numbers again. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it has been a while since we've had uh, – you know, a couple players, let alone, I, I, I really believe like right now they have three potential 30 home run, 100 RBI guys for the first time since when? Yeah, exactly. Y- well, y- you know, it, like the MV3? I think well, it is. No, probably Holiday, Pujols, Berkman in 2011, now that yeah. I've said that. Um, well, and Ben, that actually rolls perfectly into our last question from Redbird Nerds, which is, is Tyler O'Neill the best overall Cardinal on the current roster, given his prowess at the dish, on the base paths, and in the field? Um, that's tough. I, I would, because, you know, Arenado is so good in the field, and, and he plays a more important and more difficult defensive position but Arenado is also not particularly fleet of foot and not particularly good on the bases um I think O'Neill probably is the best player on the team I I think he is yeah did you I'm sorry did you say Arenado or O'Neill O'Neill uh I think O'Neill is the best player on the team I think yeah I mean I I, you know, it's, it is, it's extremely close. I, I ticked over to, uh, to fan graphs and Tyler O'Neill is the wins above replacement leader on the St. Louis Cardinals. And again, he's, and I think I, I tweeted this a week or two ago as well. He's so Tyler O'Neill is a 4.0 wins above replacement at fan graphs, Paul Goldschmidt, 3.8, Nolan Arenado, 3.5. Okay. Um, but keep in mind that war is a counting stat. And Tyler O'Neill has 464 plate appearances, Goldschmidt 608, Arenado 589. So, you know, Arenado uh, or O'Neill, you know, is doing that with uh, fairly significantly fewer plate appearances there. And just looking across his, I mean, I mean, God, he's just he does it everywhere. His, uh, you know, his slash line. I'm just going to run through it here. 280, which I mean, honestly, let's be honest. Hitting 280 now is hit, like hitting 320 <laughs> back in the you know early 2000s, right? 280, 349, 525 slugging, um, a 136 weighted runs created plus, and then yeah, um, you know base running defense, um, every, you know just just positive value everywhere. I mean he's a he's a, a monster superstar player. Um, you know, that said, I agree with you. I think it's a real argument to be made with Arenado and, and I'm not a, you know, you know, wins above replacement is, is the end all be all thing. Um, it's hard. And of course, when they calculate wins above replacement, they, there are positional adjustments there. So we, people who have thought very, very hard about this have given much less value to the work that a left fielder does than the work that a third baseman, you know, does. And, and, you know, for context, um, you know, Tyler O'Neill has 0.9, um, you know, uh, defensive uh, runs value there. Nolan Arenado has 6.7. So like it's reflected, like we know Nolan Arenado's value is a lot more there, but O'Neill with his offense and his base running just does so much. I mean, it's, and I think the other thing is just that Arenado has done it for so long. It's hard to say the guy that's, you know, been, you know, really good for this season when he's, you know, not quite 
played the full season, you know, to ordain him as like the best player um, on the team. But he's absolutely, you know, in the conversation. So, And I would also like to say it is utterly bizarre to me that O'Neal seems to get less praise than Tommy Edmond from the St. Louis establishment media. Oh. Like, and, and it, and it's bizarre to me because it's like, he has a higher batting. Like, yes, he strikes out, but he has a higher batting average this year than Edmund. He yeah. also gets on base at a higher clip. He hits for way more power. He's a better defender. Like I, ben, I know that Edmund, more, who has more doubles, Ben, who has more doubles. <laughs> Well, in, in like 650 plate appearances, you know, like that's something else that blows my mind is it's like, well, Tommy Edmund leads the league in doubles. Well, yeah, he also like leads the league in plate appearances and has like a 130 isolated power because he doesn't hit for any power. And it just, it blows my mind because I do feel that we're all a little bit tentative about O'Neill because of the swing and miss in his game. And we yeah. don't know what next year holds, but yeah. like this year on offense, he has been so good. Yeah. And it yeah. just feels like no one is really just sitting back and, and, and really drinking it in. Well, except for Kyle. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle's That's definitely true. drinking it in. Uh, but yeah. like that, the, just every facet of the game, yeah. there is the possibility that O'Neill could lead the team in batting average this year. Oh yeah. I, you know, like that's a legitimate possibility. And it's, it's something that I don't think any of us uh, would have guessed uh, at the beginning of the year in our wildest dreams that that would happen because it just didn't fit his profile. And, you know, the way he has come on the scene this year and done his work and made adjustments, it's been really impressive. And you're seeing someone who, you know, who could be laying the foundation for several years of all-star level and maybe even MVP level uh, performance. Well, I do think it says something that for the last month or so, they have cemented him into that number three spot in the lineup. You know, you know, somebody in the organization kind of it finally kind of clicked and they were like, this this is the guy like this. You know, we've got to, you know, lock him in there because, you know, they had kind of farted him around and, you know, five, six, wherever, kind of somewhere down. the. And again, batting order doesn't matter that much, of course, but but just recognizing, no, this is this is one of our absolute, you know, middle of the order guys. So that's you know, that's been nice to see Um, Ben. Time to kind of start winding things down here, I think, as we look ahead um, and we're looking ahead with the Cardinals in a second wild card position as we speak. But what are you going to be looking for? Um, I am going to be uh, looking for the uh, the Cardinals to continue to get good starting pitching because I think that's really been the foundation of this run is just being able to count on five to six to seven innings a night uh, from the starters. And I think that's just gone a really long way along with the additions of uh, to the bullpen with McFarlane and Garcia and giving uh, the manager more 
choices down there. But I think the foundation has really been the starting rotation. I think the, the team's slump that, that placed them on the outside looking into the playoff picture was largely because of poor starting pitching. And now that they've been able to get good run suppression from the starters for a solid stretch, we've seen what has happened. And so the question is, can they keep doing this? Can Adam Wainwright continue to drink from the fountain of youth? Uh, can Jay have like Ponce de Leon? <laughs> I think Ponce de Leon died looking for the Fountain of Youth. Oh, you're uh, right, you're right. Uh, down in yeah, uh, Fort yeah. Myers area, if I remember correctly. Our our listeners down in Florida can correct me if I'm wrong, but um, uh, you know, can Jay Hap continue to experience success? Uh, he has pitched better since coming to the Cardinals. Um, can he continue to do that? He's not going to, he's likely not going to continue to suppress runs at the rate he has, but can he still be good? And then Lester tonight, we really saw what I believe is his first good start for the Cardinals, like just objectively really good start. And so is that a building block moving forward? And then what does Hudson have for them? Uh, if they're going to move him into the rotation and what does Michaelis have? Because Michaelis, you know, if, if you're going to boot Kim out, you know, what are you getting from Michaelis? Like, what has Michaelis shown that he should be in the rotation over Kim, other than the fact that he's under contract after this year and Kim is not? Yeah. And so, you know, if they are that committed to Michaelis, he's going to have to do something. And, yeah. and he hasn't really pitched that well since coming back. And he's been gone for a long time. He's a control pitcher. He's a field pitcher. You'll hear Ricky Horton and John Rooney on the radio broadcast say this is like a spring training. Um, but he's got to be major league regular season ready if he's going to be in the rotation during the playoff hunt. And they've got I'd, to I'd prefer not to have a pitcher out there treating it like spring training in a, uh, when we're in a playoff hunt. <laughs> That's just yeah. me personally. Maybe I'm an call, outlier. Call me old-fashioned. <laughs> <laughs> but in September, you, it shouldn't be spring training for you. I, I agree. So, Ben, I uh, am going to be following the narrative in these uh, next few weeks, which is something that I don't endorse and I don't generally do. Um, but I think that now is the time to follow the narrative. Um, and uh, uh, Will Leach actually talked a little bit about this on the Seeing Red podcast this week. And he kind of talked about, and of course, they do a weekly podcast. They're on every week. And he talked about how, you know, it's when you do that, it's easy to kind of you know, get drawn into the narrative, you know, it's kind of, they're up this week, they're down this week. And, and, you know, you and I, of course, you know, used to write, uh, you know, weekly and you wrote more than weekly. And, and it's, it, we all know it's really easy to do. Um, baseball is a very long season and it's just, you know, uh, it takes a long, long time to see trends emerge and to see kind of meaningful things. And so it's just so easy to get sucked into the narrative and think like, this guy's hot, this guy's not, this thing's changing. And a lot of times it's, it's just narrative, but it's not really anything that's happening. And, I, and that's something I think you and I really sort of try to focus on on here. But this is the time of year that I, I will kind of focus on it a little bit. And the reason is because I feel like it, it does matter a little bit now only because there's, there's not enough time for it to, you know, for it to change. And so, you know, if, you know, we talked a little bit about Arenado. Well, if Arenado goes into a slump in these next couple of weeks, it, it, it could be the thing that keeps them from, you know, getting into the wild card. doesn't mean yeah. that Arenado's, uh, it doesn't change our opinion about who he is as a player at all, but it could be the thing there. You know, Cody Whitley has been pitching really well lately. 
Whitley. You know, if Cody Whitley runs off a scoreless inning streak, you know, or, you know, just pitches really well for these final few weeks of the season, we're always going to remember, you know, that year that Cody Whitley, like, you know, kind of pitched us into the playoffs. So this is that time of year that the, those narratives can kind of emerge and actually be kind of meaningful. So I'm, I'm going to be kind of watching some of those, uh, those narratives right there. So, um, so Ben, um, with that, we're just about done, but do you have an off day recommendation for folks? Um, yes, I, I do have, uh, an off day recommendation. Um, it is not so much for the off day though. Uh, it is for the remaining games. We're nearing the end of Mike Shannon's time on the radio, um, and I would encourage folks, uh, if you are able, uh, to listen to a Shannon broadcast or two uh, while you have the opportunity. Because next year, it looks like we're going to be stuck with Ricky Horton every game, and, and that's going to be hellacious. So you, you really need to, to enjoy Mike Shannon while you can. Uh, I certainly endorse listening to Mike Shannon. Um, any anytime you can. And I, I try to listen as often as I can. So my endorsement are these new Ebbets Field flannels, MLB authentic jackets, which you and I texted about a little bit earlier today. Have you people seen these things? Okay. So I'm, I'm an Ebbets Field flannel, um, fan, super fan, um, own a lot of their hats and jerseys and things. And I've been to their store in Seattle, you know, they do these amazing, like, you know, recreations of like exactly what these, you know, things look like. And there's such great recreations that oftentimes they don't really fit that well because like, you know, clothes didn't really used to be, you know, made as comfortably, you know, back in like, you know, the forties, like, you know, they didn't make, uh, you know, t-shirts with like amazing, like stretchy fabric that was really like kind of designed to fit your body well, but never mind that it's authentic and it still looks really cool. But, um, but you know, um, Ebbets Field has historically, um, you know, they've done a lot of, um, you know, kind of uh, like minor league stuff or like, you know, a lot of stuff from um, kind of old um, team, like old defunct teams and things like that. So it's always been really cool because it's really telling the story of the history of baseball and a lot of the kind of like, you know, regional um you know, nature of baseball and things like that. They never did things with the MLB license before. And these um, jackets are the first things that they've done with the um, the actual um, MLB license. And so they're doing a series. They're going to do at least one jacket for every team. They released, um, I think, like, what was it, like maybe eight of them today. There was not a Cardinals jacket in this first release, but they've said, I think by the end of this year, they will have released one from every team. So there should be a Cardinals one coming. They look amazing. Um, they cost $500, which is absolutely insane. Um, I, <laughs> I don't know if I can, uh, if I can quite justify paying that much for it, but I'll, uh, I'll probably, uh, dig through the couch and find enough and, uh, and end up, uh, with one of these. And then I will wear it, um, you know, every single day I'll wear it to, I'll wear it to work. I'll wear it to weddings. Um, I'll wear it all the time. So anyway, whether to purchase one or even just to, to covet and look at, uh, check out these, uh, Ebbets field flannels, MLB authentic jackets. Um, so Ben, that is my uh, high-end, um, expensive fashion recommendation. Uh, anything else before we wrap it up? Uh, Ebbets Field Flannel. If you would like to contact us for a sponsorship opportunity, uh, it's Cardinals Off Day uh, at Substack.com. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and <laughs> and we will uh, we will accept merchandise uh, for payments. So yes. 
Um, <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, Ben, it was it's been great talking with you. It's been the baseball has been so fun to watch. I've I really been uh, been itching to um, get back together and do one of these. Yeah, uh, the team's playing great. Uh, everyone enjoy the ride and and go Cardinals. Absolutely. We'll see you next time for another Cardinals Off Day podcast.